0: Welcome to The Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession.
1: Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for The Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit, although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just gonna Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Hello everybody, welcome back to the show. Today we have Carl Stingley on as our guest. He has a pretty crazy (laughs) background and resume. I'll try to be pretty quick. He was the Managing Director and Controller at FedEx Asia Pacific. And then he was the CFO for FedEx's Canada division. And then he was the VP of Worldwide Revenue Operations at FedEx. And then he was the VP of Internal Audit at FedEx, and now he is the Chief Audit Executive at Caesars Entertainment. So Carl gives some pretty good advice. Some of the things that we hit on is, hey Carl, as a CAE, what do you want? It's a pretty simple question, but it's one that uh, can be tough to answer. For a lot of folks, talk about common challenges that Carl has faced as a Chief Audit Executive what his technology investment looks like, which is super interesting because he gives somewhat of a benchmark for people to use in internal audit. Uh, And so if you're looking for additional budget or if you're trying to benchmark to some degree, uh, Carl lays out what that is. So that was very helpful. Uh, Career advice that he gives students. So he often talks to students. And so some of that career advice that he could pass along to the listeners. And then as you heard in the intro, Carl did a lot of cross development early in his career or throughout his career, really. Um, and so how that has shaped Carl to be the, the CAE that he is today, uh, how he has built or re-engineered the audit department at Caesars, and then lastly, Carl let you know from the jump, he is an Alabama football fan. For those that don't know, we have a YouTube channel that's just like a 60-second-ish clip from each show. Uh, usually it's the highlight clip, either my favorite part of the show or a clip from the show that we think adds a ton of value for folks. And so anyway, all I'd say, it's the video portion of it. And if you look, you should be able to see. It looks like Alabama football team just like threw up on my wall because there's stuff all over the place. Um, and so Carl and I share a love of Alabama football. That's how I kind of came in contact. I was scrolling through LinkedIn, saw where Carl had posted where he was at an Alabama bowl game and went, well, what's he doing in an Alabama bowl game? Went to his profile and what you know it, he's a ua grad also um and so we kind of close the show usually we close the show with you know we let the guests have their parting thoughts and say you know whatever they really want to it's totally up to them but uh for this one we asked what carl's game day routine was when he is in tuscaloosa for an alabama football game so here we go carl as a chief audit executive what do you want well what i want is several things a lot
0: of this uh Paul, if we have a theme, will be work-life balance. So yeah. let's start with the personal side. So personally, and most people know or know in the first 30 minutes of meeting me, I'm a big uh, University of Alabama football fan. So on the personal side, I want another national championship. So
1: that's, <laughs> that's right. a
0: very easy question to answer. Professionally, uh, there's several things I want. Uh, first of all, from a corporate Standpoint as chief audit executive, it's very important to me to have a uh, a culture of ethics, a culture of compliance, support for internal audit. You know whether it's management, the audit committee, uh, our internal customers. You know, to have those business partnerships. That those are the things I want internally uh, for my team. And keep in mind, I have 135 uh, members of my internal audit department at Caesars. I'm very focused on their professional development, their career progression, you having a sense of strong ethics within the internal audit department. We have to set the example for the company and to have also work-life balance uh, among my team members and also have a partnership mindset. We've got to have that fundamentally if we're going to have that alignment with management. So those are the things I'm looking for.
1: What When you go into, like, if someone who is like, hey, I want to be a CAE, and they see a job opening, they apply, what what's maybe a question or two they could ask to see, like, as if they're interviewing the folks that are actually interviewing them to make sure it's a good fit? You know, and I think that ties back into what you're saying, like, I want good culture fit and all that kind of, uh, all, those, all those things. Um, do you have any advice for, I'm, a, I'm an aspiring CAE, I'm going to go interview, what should I make sure gets addressed?
0: Yeah, I think uh, there's several things, and haven't gone through that process myself. So first of all, what are they looking for in terms of a chief audit executive? I think that's an important question to ask. In my, in, you're not going to get generally a very specific answer to that, mm-hmm. okay? but you need to ask the question. In my case at Caesars, the answer was we want internal audit to add more value. Okay? I heard that as a theme in my interview whether it's with the audit committee, executive management, et cetera. Now, the obvious question you might wonder is, well, okay, but how do you want me to add value? That And clearly, that's what they're hiring me for, is to figure out how to add the value. But at least that told me what they were focused on in terms of considering me for the position. So certainly, as I went through the interview process and once I started, sure, I went through a very intensive process over several months to figure out, okay, here's where I think the gaps are, here's where the opportunities are. But that's the first question I would ask. ask. Uh, the second question is, you know, what's the culture of the company? Uh, I'll say at FedEx where I spent 32 years, it was a very strong people-first culture. And that was what I was used to. So it was going to be very hard for me to transition into a radically different culture. And, of course, Caesars was different. No two corporate cultures are going to be exactly the same. But I felt it was similar where I could make that transition from FedEx to a very, very people-first culture, and that drives a chief audit executive or an internal auditor to manage uh, the relationships in a certain way. And if I had gone to a company where it was just fist-down shoving stuff down folks throats it wouldn't have worked. yeah because that's not what my background and experience is so i would say those are a couple of the key points to understand
1: if you're interviewing with another company okay yeah and i think it's important if you are to ask yourself what do you want as a cae to go back to that first question to ask because i just i know people that have like went hey i want to be a cae they take the first thing they can get and it's like mm, i didn't know it was going to be this with this company that's not what i'm used to and so I always think it's important to interview the interviewees as much as they're interviewing you. So anyway, um, so let's say they get that CAE position. Um, What are some common challenges that you face that um, they might face as well? Well, the first
0: uh, I'd say is hiring and retention, and certainly that's not a challenge six years in. When I came into Caesars, uh, we were in Chapter 11. And if I were to give career advice to aspiring CAEs, you probably don't want to go into a company that's in chapter 11. Okay. <laughs> There's probably a reason for that. But, uh, you know, the other things pushed it over to the yes side, but that was definitely a challenge. So, guess what? Uh, I was having significant retention issues. The two years before I came into Caesars, each year turnover was over 30%. <laughs> so, you do the mathematics in the two years before I came in, about 65% of my team turned over that's not where you want to be in terms of knowledge of the business in terms of obviously there's a cultural issue right this causing people to leave also which you got to address once you understand it so that's number one uh number two is today we're in this uh, remote work world and of course when i started that really wasn't what it was it was you're in the office every day and that's the expectation that's radically changed And we've had to adapt uh, our practices within the department to to what that new reality is. Uh, Third, you know, you got to have both an analytics and automation strategy. Uh, Basically, keep in mind, we're doing over 600 audits a year in my world. And we were using Excel to manage these audits from an audit audit management standpoint. And that's not audit management. So it was... That was a challenge in terms of identifying the gaps in a Chapter 11 environment. How do you get the approval to get some level of automation that you can manage the business? And I would say also, uh, I've dealt with both being acquired since I've been with Caesars. Eldorado acquired Caesars. I was retained as chief audit executive. And we've made an acquisition of William Hill. So now we're fully in the digital world. So that's, in both cases, required significant change in terms of our audit plan, in terms of the challenges of integrating a 35-person El Dorado team into my 100-person Caesars team, and learning the digital business, what the key risk factors are, and how we're going to adapt to those in our new audit world. So those are some of the more significant challenges I've had to deal with since coming up.
1: Yeah, um, hiring and retention number one, according to pretty much every survey, not just audit, but but otherwise, uh, we're hearing more and more about that. So, uh, but you mentioned analytics and automation strategy. What does your your technolo- technology investment? What does that look like? How are you using technology? So, as as I mentioned, when I started six years ago, it was basically uh,
0: you know I'm exaggerating a bit pencil and paper, for the most part, and spreadsheets. Uh, So, of course, we went through evaluation processes. Of course, I had to go through the approval processes internally. Uh, But there's two significant components to it. So the first is uh, from an audit management system standpoint, we're an audit board. Uh, I've been very pleased with that. That's helped us significantly in a lot of areas in terms of automating certain processes. For example, our report writing. So if we're writing over 600 audit reports a year, uh, you can only imagine having a a management system that can help us automate most of that process is a huge uh, time savings for us. On the analytics side, are we using Uh, know, Again, I think it's, and we do have a specific automation strategy, and I have one, I obviously own it at the end of the day, but my senior director of IT is the day-to-day owner of it. My entire executive team meets uh, every month, and we refine it, track where we are, what are the opportunities, how can we get the maximum benefit from the products we've invested in. And I think we've made significant progress. Are we where I would want to be? No, it's a journey. It's always yeah. going to be a journey. Yeah. But we've made a huge amount of process of progress, and if you look at the level of spend, uh, we're about, keep in mind, I've got 135 folks. So therefore my overall budget for the department is fairly uh, significant given the salary and wages and travel. But, uh, so automation spend, while it's only about 3% of my total budget, still given what my total budget is, it's pretty significant actually. It's about $500,000 a year. I'm putting into in our automation strategy. This is a significant investment. And, you know, I, my expectation is we'll see continue to see significant progress because we cannot, as our audit plan continues to increase as a sports betting, uh, the number of audits keep going up. and I cannot continue just to hire additional bodiess, right? We have to be more efficient. I think this is allowing us to accomplish that. Yeah,
1: I appreciate that. And I think the listeners will also, if nothing else, to have almost 3% as a benchmark. You go in, you're like, I don't really know. Well, this is what Caesars is doing. So maybe even uh, at a minimum, uh, we could say, then we could point to that. I think they could point to that, take that to their audit committee or whoever um, and go, hey, this is you know kind of what we're hearing. So why don't you hook us up with a little bit more? Um, so I, I appreciate that. I'm sure others do too. So I know you speak to a lot of students. What career advice that you give to students could you also give to the listeners? So, uh, yeah, I do
0: speak quite often to groups and college students and particularly in Alabama, since I'm very tied in, uh, to the school of accountancy there, so part of this is tongue in cheek, but part of it is serious, uh, that keep in mind I was at FedEx for 32 years. So, uh, my piece of career advice is be smart enough to identify a company that grows by 50 fold in a 32 year period. Okay. <laughs> Because that creates a lot of opportunities. And I was very blessed uh, to work with FedEx. That was a very hard decision to leave there. Because I've loved working there. You believe strongly in the culture of the company and what they do. But they grew significantly. So that created a lot of opportunities. Uh, Number two, and one of the themes, it was maybe it wasn't as intentional as I would uh, have liked it to be. Because I think you also need to be lucky in, in certain cases. But I, I've always focused on uh, career development, um, cross-movement, learning. So my career, I probably had, I don't know if I were to count, probably 12 or more jobs. The vast majority of those were just lateral loops. Okay. And at the time, they were just things that interested me, but also broadened me from a career perspective. So I think that was key in my case, because I view myself as a generalist. I've gone into a lot of different jobs done a lot of different things. And it's because I'm just interested in learning and expanding my portfolio, um, so to speak. So I think those are a couple of the, the themes that when I talk to college students, I emphasize, as and well that, as just continual development.
1: Yeah. And so you were at you've like 12 different jobs, you said. So you didn't come straight up through audit. It wasn't like, hey, I'm Auditor 1, now I'm CAE. Um, so you did a lot of cross-development in car- in your career, How has that shaped you? And then also, is there a way for folks to like strategically almost cross-develop to get like a a better overall, maybe uh, better business sense? Well, for me, um,
0: there were a few things I saw. Uh, So I started out basically as a compliance auditor uh, with FedEx. I go to different stations around the country. I probably went to over a hundred stations, did compliance audits, okay? And I thought that was a great start, actually, because in my world at Caesars, most of my staff are doing regulatory compliance audits around the country. So I really appreciate and value what they do, because that's where I learned what FedEx did as a business. Okay, I think it's a great place to start. And I saw what differentiated a well-run operation and one that was not well. And, And I learned that lesson very early in my career. But then I saw other things that I I felt I needed to grow into. So I moved into, at a certain point, IT and financial audit. Then I moved over into international audit. And uh, then that then led into the position where I moved to Hong Kong as managing director controller uh, for Asia-Pacific region. I'd done a lot of audits in Asia, so I was a relatively known commodity. But again, in each of those jobs, I was learning something completely different, you know, broadening myself. And that led to going to Canada, where I was uh promoted to VP CFO and also the planning and engineering area. And again, I had to go in and learn, expand my portfolio. But I've always felt that what I've done in internal audit, even early in my career, was the best training that I could possibly get. Because what fundamentally you're doing in audit is you're, you're having to go into a new situation and figure it out. Yeah. That's what we do. And so I, I've just continued to expand on that. Then I went into the uh, revenue area of FedEx. Well, what did I know about revenue area of FedEx? Okay. It was over a 1,000 people that I went into that job. Uh, and But the experience I had preceding that really helped me. That was the skill sets I brought to the table in terms of what I had to do. So that to me is... The key is just continuing to grow, develop, expose yourself to new situations, but don't get impatient because I see a lot of people that do this. In my opinion, sometimes folks get a bit impatient that they're not promoted in the next year or right. two years. Uh, if if you're going to continue to grow, it might be a good time to laterally move and broaden your experience versus expecting that immediate promotion because a career is a long
1: time in terms of growing. So what do you think about the idea of like, hey, I like I just love audit and I want to be in that about like saying, hey, can I go do IT audit for a project or can I do a non-IT audit project, you know, for a time, or hey, I'm doing socks constantly. Can I get like an operational thing uh audit going or even um well, I guess that's really it. or maybe cybersecurity or something like that. But what do you think about that? Because there's usually IT audit, non IT audit. And sure. there's usually kind of a line in the sand for the most part, but going, hey, let me just Hey, CAE, can I do a switch for a month or a project or something like that? Yes. Uh, it, when I came into Caesars, that was actually
0: one of the more significant changes from a culture standpoint that I uh, that I put, put, a, put a strategy in place. Because I constantly heard in my staff one-on-ones about how they would like to see things change. What would they like to see different? And I heard that as a theme in terms of they wanted the opportunity to broaden themselves more. Because it wasn't not only encouraged, it was almost discouraged in the culture yeah. that I walked into. So uh, we did put a number of changes in place to let our employees know that if they wanted to move to other areas, we would welcome it and encourage it, facilitate it. So there's a lot of examples actually now where, well, non-IT auditors have moved over to the IT side, appliance auditors had moved over to the SOC side, et cetera, et cetera, because I think it's in the company's interest as well as the employee's interest, because as, you'll, as long as you're really sincere in terms of wanting to develop and promote your employees and they see that, they want to stay with the company longer. Yeah. Whereas if they don't see that opportunity to develop and progress in, in, in an internal audit department, guess what? They're probably going to be looking for something
1: else. Yeah. And so that's one really good example I like. Uh, so you came in and created this almost culture change and, and said, hey, if you want to do the IT audit, sure, come on, let's do that. I think that's great. What else have you done to kind of re-engineer the audit department out there? Well, so several things. One of the themes of our conversation is employee development.
0: And, I, and again, on my staff one-on-ones, I heard consistently, uh, there, was, there was no encouragement on the management side in terms of our employees getting certifications, really focused on developing them. So the things that uh, we changed and I put in place, of course I had to work through HR to get this uh, program fully implemented. But number one, uh, paying for employees' uh, course fees, whether it's Becker or another course to me, that was an important step to take. Uh, Number two, a significant step we took was putting in a bonus. A program where employees successfully completed their certification they got a monetary bonus uh you know to recognize that is not a sole criterion, but is a real benefit when they're being considered for promotion i want folks who are certified who are showing a commitment to the department to the profession into their own career development so those are a few things that we did on the uh, on the development side. It's been really successful in terms of increasing our certification percentages. Another example was uh, back to the added value that I mentioned earlier. So one of the ways internal audit, you hopefully add value, is in terms of the reports that you issue because this is really the product of what you've done on an audit. And when I talked to management, the theme I heard is, Carl, your reports are unreadable. Yeah. Well, that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> uh, but guess what? Because I had to review every report before it went out. And I mentioned the 600 number earlier. It was painstaking for me at the top of the list to read the reports. So it was just too much detail. It was hard to figure out what was important, what were you trying to say. So frankly, they were pretty unreadable. So how do you go about the process of changing them? Because there's a reason internally it grew to that. So I put together a committee to look at it, but of course I gave some direction on the front end. And I wanted the reports to be focused uh, strategically on what issues were the most important, uh, to be abbreviated in terms of how uh, we presented them. because sometimes we as auditors fall into the habit, myself included, in terms of wanting to communicate everything that we've seen. Yeah. Okay. You got to get out of that mindset and put yourself in the shoes of our readers. Another thing, uh, we put in place was opinions on the audits. There were not opinions. So again, it was difficult for the readers to determine what was important or not. So we came up with three opinions that puts, uh, at at the very high level, Uh, was it good or not? Uh, and went to more of an executive summary format. Uh, we also came up with what I'll call immaterial issues, where basically in, on our audits, there's a lot of small things that okay. we see. But from a regulatory standpoint, we are required to communicate those. We have to. So they, they've got to be in the report. But they can be in the report as a sentence and not three paragraphs. Yeah. So that was another change we made. So that was uh, an important culture change for the department And uh, another was, I believe, strongly in personal relationships. Uh, you've got to have a relationship with your auditees. As I always say, the first time you have a conversation with an executive, I don't want it to be when I'm giving them bad news. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on my side, but enforcing uh, beneath me in my organization you know, the importance of having those real relationships. So you have a, that uh, trust, with each other. So when you're discussing inevitably a uh, a challenging issue, there's at least that trust there versus the first study they've ever heard from you. So those would be a few examples.
1: Relationships, always a theme of the show, um, super important from, from everyone that we talk to. Do you have for those, again, that are maybe aspiring CAEs or CAEs now that don't have those relationships, do you have like an approach you could provide to them? some sort of, uh, strategy or have you just, it, maybe it even started when you interviewed to say, this is how it's, you know, basically if you want this to work, this is how the relationship we have to have in order to make this work.
0: Yeah. So you have to keep in mind, I came from a company, FedEx, where I've been for 32 years and I had very long term relationships with about everybody. Okay. And here I show up in a company, I don't know any of them. They don't know me. And you know, uh, human nature is; they may be a little bit skeptical in the beginning. That's the, the way. You, that's the way it goes. But my approach has always been to uh, you don't wait for others to seek you out. Uh, you have to seek them. And I would say, at the end of the day, ninety-five percent plus of the individuals I deal with, if you approach them from a sincere standpoint, you want to learn their business, their challenges. But also ask the questions of what What are your concerns or issues, or do you believe are the opportunities with internal audit? I've already mentioned a couple of them. They told me, and I, I gained, I believe, a lot of respect with that group when I started to make the changes within the department. Yeah. And they saw some of the challenges. So I think, in the vast majority of cases, uh, people want to have that relationship. Yeah. They understand the internal audit and what we do. They want to, it's important. That it'd be a two way relationship. And, uh, but you got it's this one of the biggest usages of my time is in terms of those external relationships with our internal customers and listening to them. And what are even in our risk assessment process? What are the strategic areas where we can help you? And we gain enormous credibility because we do focus on those risks that are important to them also. And again, I think that builds a lot of credibility for the department and uh, you know for me as chief
1: audit executive. As they start to to wrap it up, I know when you were at FedEx and even now you're doing some travel, um, but you were, you know, this international high flying diving club membering traveling auditor. Um, is remote going to kill that? Is that something you see going away? Well, uh, let me phrase it this way it's on life support. Yes, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Uh, it's a different world,
0: and uh, so there's not going to be as much uh, international travel. Not going to get laid any announced uh on the plane as <laughs> welcome aboard Mr. Stingley, which yeah. I kind of enjoyed. I got right. personally escorted from one flight to the other. Uh, now I'm flying Frontier, and uh, and uh, <laughs> I can't even list the benefits I received because I earned it. Yeah. Okay. So it is a different world. We're all having to adapt in so many
1: ways to this new world, and that's going to be one. There's no doubt about it. All right, Carl, aside from maybe a roll tide, um, what else would you like to leave the listeners with today? Yeah, I think uh, I'd leave with,
0: I've discussed this a couple times already, is back to work-life balance, and I don't know, maybe my definition is a little bit uh, different than others, but From a work standpoint, I think you have to ask yourself, as I do all the time, you know, how do you add value? What's your brand in terms of what you're trying to do from a professional standpoint? You also ask yourself, like I did early in my career, you know, what's my greatest weakness and what's the thing I need to improve on? And for me, it was uh, my communication skills. I knew if I was going to progress in my career, I needed to focus on it. I'll put it that way. So in my case, uh, what I did really early in my career was I took Dale Carnegie. Okay, I felt that would help me. Uh, and guess what? It did. It stretched me a lot. And then when I finished that, I said, well, what's the next step? And I became a graduate assistant, which put me in front of the class, which was really hard. It was really a stretch. And then I attended a lot of other programs, took speaking engagements, etc., but over time, I think that helped me a lot in terms of progressing. It was asking myself the question: What's my greatest weakness, and what do I need to focus on? So those are a couple of things I leave with on the, on the work side. On the personal side, is that's the other side of work-life balance. Is you ask yourself, as I do, you know what am I passionate about? You know, what uh, in, it could be for different individuals, different things. It could be your family. It could be your religion. In my case, guess what? It's Alabama football <laughs> and the School of Accountancy. And how do you prioritize that in terms of what you do? I think it's really important to be passionate on both sides. It's not making a decision, oh, well, I've got to prioritize this and take away from this. It's really prioritizing both of them. How do you adjust in certain points? Uh, guess what? Works would have to be a bit more of a priority. Deadline periods, etc. On the other hand, there's times personal needs to be priority. Yeah. So you really need to keep continually focused on that, particularly with all the stresses and the
1: changes that we're going through right now in the world that we're involved we've evolved in. And we'll call this the last question kind of a bonus question and I'll give some backstory. Um I was scrolling through LinkedIn a few months ago and I saw where you, Carl, had attended a the Alabama bowl game in New Orleans. Right. And I think it was a Caesars-sponsored event. And so I just went, okay, he's at Caesars. That was a Caesars thing. That's great. But either way, I clicked on the uh, profile started to scroll down and went, oh, he graduated. Carl graduated from the University of Alabama. And so I bet he went as a fan. Uh, and for those that don't know, we have a, a YouTube channel for the podcast. It's usually the highlight clip from uh, the guest of that week. Uh, but it is a video. And so if you've ever seen any of those, you might have noticed the amount of Alabama stuff uh in the background of the uh office that i'm in uh, slash recording studio um and so that's kind of what grew or, or like made it easier i guess to reach out to carl so anyway i jokingly said hey carl i want to know what your game day routine is when you're on campus because you do come back to tuscaloosa for games and so i guess we'll we'll just call this uh, as, as a, a bonus piece as, as unless you unless you have some way to tie this into audit <laughs> maybe yeah. not but I'm curious, what's your game day routine when you're in Tuscaloosa for an Alabama football game? Okay, well, I appreciate that question. It's going to be a couple-part answer because when I was a student
0: way back when, so my dream was to get an RV, Mm -hmm. okay? Because back in my day when I was a student, the RV army came in, parked around the stadium, and spent the weekend and went into the game. Well, then when I started with Arthur Anderson, we had a partner, and he flew to the away games. And I thought, man, this is incredible. My dream is to have enough money at some point I can fly to the away games. Well, then that evolved, and they started building these football condo buildings. So I accomplished my life dream about 15 years ago of buying a football condo a block from the stadium. So this has become my routine. So it's a big family thing, as you know. So, my kids, my grandkids, friends, you know, they all come. Some stay, some pop in before the game, some pop in after the game, watch the games on TV, go over to the stadium about a half hour before the game, Come back after the game, watch the games on TV, have dinner, hang out, either celebrate the victory or it's not a good scene uh, if uh, they lose, I promise you. Yep. But that's now the routine. It's such a great family time uh, that I treasure that, and I do get to pretty much about all the games, so it's a priority for me in a real
1: family you know event